as far as we know, it's the battery that we had to deal with, okay? So we hope it's fixed this evening. Recently, we have looked at two prayers that have focused upon two basic thoughts, the glory of God and the sin of the people at the time of the prayer. Sin, though, if you remember, included the one praying. One was Nehemiah, the other was Daniel the prophet. And one thing that encouraged me was moving into the heart of the one who pr was praying and realized what was on his heart and on his mind. But what a blessing it also was in seeing the willingness that they admitted their own sin. And we saw ourselves, if you will, and the, it reminded me of another event in seeing ourselves, and that was the night Jesus betrayed was betrayed. Remember what he said to the disciples? He says, one of you is going to betray me tonight. And they all said, is it I, is it I, is it I, realizing their own hearts. See, if we're honest with ourselves, like Nehemiah, Daniel, the disciples, we do know our hearts, and what we see isn't always good. But tonight we want to begin looking at what I believe is a prayer that brings such blessing into the heart of the one praying. And it doesn't really cause me to see myself, at least not at first. But it brings me closer to the Lord as we look at it and understanding and his desire for his people. Tonight we want to look at a prayer of Jesus. On this, the last night of his life, Jesus was found serving as the great high priest, making intercession to the Father. In fact, the Bible declares him to be our great high priest. And this is one way he demonstrates it. As he prayed that night, his prayer focused on four great themes. And we're going to consider one of them this evening. As we look into the verses and as we listen on the prayer of our wonderful Lord, we need to try to understand Jesus praying about the night that still impacts your life and mine. His prayer that had the power then and a reminder of time and eternity. With that in mind, I want to ask you to turn in your Bibles to John 17 as we look at the earnest prayer of the Lord Jesus. We get to see his heart. We get to see what was on his mind when he prayed. Some people feel he was still in the upper room. Some people feel this is what he prayed in the garden. But regardless, it's that last prayer that he would utter before the cross. And as we look at this, I want to ask you to follow as I read the first five verses. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may also glorify you. As you have given him authority over all flesh, 
that he should give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O oh Father, glorify me together with yourself with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Well, tonight, we want to look at the prayer of Jesus that's really uttered for himself. Jesus has just finished the discourse that's found in chapters 14 through 16. We haven't taken the time to look at it, but it's a message to his disciples about truth and about knowing what God desires. Then we come to verse 1 here, and it says, Jesus spoke these words. That's the message that John gives us. Simple, but then we find that he's going to pray. And he's going to pray as we even have already read. In this portion, these verses that we have looked at, the word glory comes up five times. It's something that is on his mind one way or another, and we'll look at that tonight. But as we look at the first portion of prayer, notice that we see what is on his mind. And it begins, if you will, as Jesus requested that he be glorified in order that he could bring glory to the Father. Father, glorify me that I can glorify you is the picture that is given to us. Now again, in verse 1, we see that Jesus isn't independent of the Father. He is going to pray because he needs to pray. And in John 17 here in verse 1, we read, Jesus spoke these words. He lifted up his eyes toward heaven and said, notice those words, he lifted his eyes toward heaven. That's where the Father really manifests himself. We read in um, the prayer that Jesus would teach later or earlier to his disciples, pray this way, our Father who is in heaven, and it kind of gives us an idea. Yes, God is omnipresent. He's everywhere. But he's in heaven. I'm reminded of a couple other passages that tell us this. For example, Psalm 123 says, Unto you I lift up my eyes, O you who dwell in the heavens. Reflecting upon our God is so big, we lift him up. And then we also read, in Psalm 115, but our God is in heaven. He does whatever he pleases. And so in our minds, as we pray, we think of God being in heaven. And in that model prayer, we learn the same thing. Now notice how he begins this prayer in John 17, verse 1. He starts out simply by saying, Father. It shows us a relationship. That's how he taught his disciples to pray. That demonstrates a relationship. 
and he is about to perform his last act in his humiliation after coming to work. And notice what he says here. Father, the hour has come. The hour has come. About 33 years ago, he was born in Bethlehem. He was born for a purpose. And his life was focusing on a given point as he would travel through life. We don't know what happened many of those years, but one thing we know, this was the focus. As we think about the hour, it's dealing with what we call as humiliation, the fulfillment of the Father's plan. It's a time when he's going to make his son glorious. And he does that by raising him from the dead. But you know what has to happen before he can ever raise him from the dead? He's got to die. So Jesus here prayed for glorification, to exalt the Father. But as he prays that, he knows it's going to be costly, very costly. But he desires so much to honor and give attention to the Father that he will do that. And Jesus will be the example to do all for the glory of God. Just as you and I are told in 1 Corinthians 10, so he would demonstrate it with his very own existence, his life. And so we see that Jesus requested to be glorified that he might glorify the Father. But there's another thing we want to see from this prayer, and it is this that Jesus requested the glory which is rightfully his. Again, look at the passage here as we move on. The hour has come. Glorify your son that your son also may glorify you. We move down to verse 5. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you, before the world was. And now he prays that he might receive that again. Notice again verse 5. O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Let's look at that for a moment. See, when the second person of the Godhead, the Lord Jesus, left heaven to become God incarnate. He temporarily laid something aside. And I believe it's wrapped up here in Philippians 2. If you would turn there, please. Philippians 2. And we'll be back to John 17. But go to Philippians chapter 2. This passage is often referred to as the kenosis passage. And as Jesus came, we're going to see that he gives up something. He empties himself of something. And notice verse 5, as Paul is writing to the Philippians. He says, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God or something to be grasped. But he made himself of no reputation. That's where you get the word kenosis. He emptied himself. 
taking on the form of a bond servant, coming in the likeness of men. What is it that took place in this passage? Well, I believe what it is, it's when he left heaven, he left the glory behind. And we'll see more about this as we move along. But he left the most precious thing, that glory that was his. And he was like it back, and so he prays about that. Our Lord did not lay aside any deity, but rather he added some humanity to himself. And see, when the work of the cross was completed, the glory, which was momentarily laid aside, was given back to him. That's what he's praying about. And we'll see more of that as we go along. And this, in part, is that which Jesus requested. Give me the glory that I once enjoyed with you. Because he laid it aside. See, as we think about it, it all tied to the cross. Jesus earned that glory at the price of the cross. Father, glorify your son. But to do that, there's another event right in front of him. Mind you, he's been living 33 years. And now, right now, that night, he's going to be arrested and things are going to transpire. And by the next day, he's going to be hanging on that cross with nails in his hands and his feet. But there's a reason he's doing that. In addition to the restoration of the glory of our Lord that he possessed and left behind at the Incarnation, there's something else we need to remember. That is, even during his earthly life, he was proclaiming the glory of God. But I want to remind you of something that we think about when he left heaven. It's a verse that we've looked at in other times. He says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, that you through his poverty might become rich. And Paul, I, <coughs> excuse me, as he was writing to the Corinthians, was emphasizing something about Christ in chapter 8. He was talking about giving, and he uses the best illustration he can think of, and that is what Christ gave. Now, when was Jesus ever rich? He had to catch a fish to pay his taxes. His mom, pay, they paid their uh, uh, vow, their temple tax at the dedication with a pigeon, I mean, they were poor. He never had life. He didn't even know where to lay his head at times. But it says he was rich. That's when he was in heaven, enjoying all the glory of God, unmixed with sin in any way. He was rich. But for your sakes, you Corinthians, he became poor. Now, what's poor? What does it mean to be poor? Well, poor is simply the absence of, of what makes one rich. If you were a multi-billionaire and you lost it all, you became poor, which means you lost those billions. Well, Jesus, when he became poor, meant he left something precious behind. That's his glory. 
And he did it for your sakes that you through his poverty might become rich. That is, enjoy the very glory that was his. And we'll see that later. But Jesus glorifies the Father by his earthly life of obedience and submission. Go back to, keep your finger here, and look at John 17 again. And look at verse 4. It says, Jesus says, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Again, thinking about him praying in the hour. I've glorified you on earth. Along with the salvation of men on the work of the cross, Jesus, setting aside the glory, did it to minister to sinful man. He did it that we might know him and all there is to know about him. In, John, in Philippians 2, if you go back there, Philippians 2, I want you to catch more of this passage that we have already read. We read the first uh, verses 5 through 7. But let's go on and look at more of this. Verse 9. Let's, verse 8. And being found in appearance of a man, he humbled himself, became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth. What we see here is that he was rewarded. He was given a name, a name of honor, tied to all he is. And as he's done with the work, we'll see he gives that glory back. What a beautiful commentary of these verses. I want you to think about Philippians for a moment and realize that Jesus prayed in John 17 to be glorified so that the Father would receive glory. What I do, he prayed, I wanted to reflect the Father. Jesus received the glory that was already his. It, he'd get it back. In Philippians 2, verse 6, he's going to get it back. And then we see that Jesus is rewarded in such a great way as he's given the name. That's tied to the glory He's somebody who he used to be. Now he's again glorified. But the cross had to be there. As Jesus had the desire to bring glory to his Father and in return be glorified, in all this there is something we must not forget. When Jesus died on the cross, according to John 10, verse 15, he died with his sheep in mind. I give my life for the sheep. And if you're a believer tonight, you can say as we, you reflect upon the death of Christ, it was for me. Think about this. Jesus leaves heaven. He comes to earth, dwells among sinners. And at the end of his life here on earth, when he was hated during that whole time, 
and kill them. All that for our benefit. That's an exciting thought when we begin to reflect upon it. He gave his life for me. Now go back to John 17 and notice as we look at this, verse 3, John 17, and this is eternal life that they may know you. If you have eternal life tonight, it's because you know Christ. And if you know Christ, you have eternal life. And who is you? The only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's a focus that as Jesus prays, he's praying for glory, for the Father, for himself. But we're going to see, Lord willing, next time, how we fit into this passage. Now, there's a few things you need to keep in mind as we move on here, and that is this. First of all, he has given his life to glorify the Father. Look at verse 4. I have glorified you on the earth. I, well, I've been on the earth. I've been glorifying you. And I finished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus here is not focusing on the cross, but his life on earth. He's talking about the three years of his earthly ministry as he constantly brought his listeners to the presence of God when he talked about heaven from the woman at the well to Nicodemus to healing the blind man or any other event while he was on earth. That had the goal to glorify the Father. I want you to think about this as Jesus was ministering. In John chapter 1, we read this. No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, now when John wrote, he has declared him. People never saw the Father, but those three years of ministry, Jesus was constantly proclaiming God. And his listeners were constantly saying, I don't want to hear it. I have glorified you, verse 4 says on earth. I finished the work that I was to do, which you gave me to do. Go to John chapter 14, if you would, please. Thinking again about this work, Jesus is talking about heaven, about the future, in John 14. And one of his disciples makes this comment. Let's begin at verse 7. If you have known me, you would have known my father also. And from now on, you know him and have seen him. Father, Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father, and it is sufficient for us. And Jesus said to him, Have I been with you so long, and yet you have now not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. So how can you say, Show us the Father? Do you see the depth of who Jesus is? And many people to whom he ministered missed it. As he taught, they didn't want it. 
They didn't want to know about the Father. Though they claimed to follow God, but they wanted nothing to do with it. Well, as Jesus is praying, Father, glorify me. I can glorify you. And in, in thinking about that, I have done what you wanted me to do. But as we think about this again in more detail, we also see that he would give his life that his sheep would have life. As he talks about it here, he wants his sheep to know what he's done. He's given eternal life to as many as he has given him in verse 3. Talking about John, in John 6 we saw that all that the Father gives him will come. They're a gift from the Father. And looking at his whole program, as they come to Christ and he loses none, it's an accomplishment of the Father's will. I have finished the work you have given me. I've come to glorify you, glorify me. And so he'd give life, his life for the sheep. We also see here that he would give his life for the Father's glory. That's what verses 1 through 5 are talking about. But I want you to see something here as well as we see it unfold. Verse 4 says, I have finished the work you've given me. Well, really, at this point, as he's praying, not as we're reading, but as He's praying. He still has a little bit more to do. And we know he submitted to the Father's will where God poured out his wrath upon his son. Remember when Jesus prayed in the garden, if possible, let this cup pass from me? Well, it's because he is going to be made sin. Now, I want you to if you're a believer tonight, I want you to count your sins from the time you committed your first sin. And think how many there might be, 10 or 15 maybe? Uh, how many, I'm not talking about just this afternoon. How many have we committed? Now take your sins and put them on Christ. Then we take those sins of, for as he dies for his sheep and they're all put on Jesus. I can't imagine the sin that's being put upon the Son. He's doing it to glorify his Father. And what ends up happening as he's on the cross bearing sin, it's that time. Cursed is he that hangs on the cross, we're told. And while he's hanging there, he cries out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? spent eternity with the Father. Then there came this time when he came to earth. He emptied himself of that glory and he spent 33 years to this point. He's been able to commune with the Father. But notice he doesn't cry on the cross, my Father. It's not a relationship of a Father, it's a relationship of a judge. And he's pouring out wrath upon his son. And he cries, why have you forsaken me? Now, what does this word forsaken mean? What's he talking about? Part of that judgment is being forsaken. 
It means to leave behind or be deserted. Have you ever been left behind where it really hurt or deserted? That's what he's talking about here. Keep in mind the Trinity has existed eternally. And all of a sudden at this one point in time, the relationship stops. Why? Because a holy God cannot look upon sin. And Jesus is saturated with sin for those for whom he's suffering. And in turn, the Father forsakes him because of it. He pours out wrath as has never been poured out before. Hell is poured on Jesus for those as he bears sin. What kind of suffering would they deserve? I don't know. But Jesus is receiving the hell in a matter of an hour or so that these would have received throughout eternity. Why have you forsaken me? And yet I'm willing to go through all this to glorify you that you might be glorified and that I would once again have that glory that I had with you. I want you to reflect upon your Savior. He's pouring out his heart here and he's reflecting upon his Father. Father, I want you to be glorified. He begins by glorifying me. That will take place later. But, but as it relates to those who he gives eternal life to, verse 3, I've glorified you. And then verse 5, Father, glorify me together with yourself. And that took place because of Calvary. Let me share one more passage with you, tying this glory together. And the blessing that Jesus would receive. He gets his glory back. But is rewarded as well a little bit more. We read in Hebrews 12 too. We're to be looking unto Jesus. The author and finisher of our faith. Who for the joy that was set before him. Endured the cross. Now it doesn't say the joy was in enduring the cross, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. Let me give you an illustration. Over here on the table is your favorite dessert. Okay, you can't wait to have it. But on the table is that yucky vegetable, at least you might call it that, and you're told that you're going to have to endure that vegetable to have the pie. Well, you do it. Jesus endured the cross, the wrath of Almighty God. But at the end, he knew it was on the other side. And he ended up sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. Sitting down means the work is done. The reward comes afterward. And it's all wrapped up in glory. 
And one illustration is tied to the throne here. The name that's given to him in Philippians. We don't understand or really comprehend the glory. We can go back and think about the Shekinah glory that was manifest in Israel. But we need to remember the glory before the world was. I don't understand it. But it's something so precious. He's willing to go through the cross to get it back. And he did it for sinners like you and me. And he hasn't even gotten to us yet. He's going to pray for us in a moment, or in the passage in a moment, not tonight. It'd be good to go home and read the whole thing before next week. But as he prays, his desire, Father, glorify me as I glorify you. That's what's on his mind. That's the key thing. When we pray, very often the most important thing is what we pray first. You ever pray, Father, glorify yourself through me? Let me ask you a question as you reflect about what we have seen tonight. For we have been called to be followers of Christ. So do we have the goal to see the Father and yes, the Son glorified, even if it costs our lives. For that's what it took for Jesus before the Father would be glorified in what he did. Because he did just that in a way we can't comprehend. Look at his prayer. It's focused upon the Father's glory and of his Son. Do we desire that? What it means is unconditional surrender to the purposes of God, which brings him glory and results, yes, in our good. That's what Jesus did. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to take up our cross and follow him. That's a Christian. For following Christ means you recognize what he's done and how he wants you to bring glory to him. That's what's wrapped up in that statement. Do all to the glory of God. Let's read this passage again. We'll close in prayer, and we'll take a moment for a business meeting. Jesus spoke these words, lifted up his eyes to heaven, and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, also that your Son may also glorify you, as you have given him authority over all flesh, that he himself should Give eternal life to as many as you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. And now, O Father, glorify me together with yourself, with the glory which I had with you before the world was. Heavenly Father, thank you for the evening you've given us. Thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. And might it be our desire, above all else in our lives, to glorify you. In Jesus' name.